The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest and member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing there? Doing well. Doing well. Father, I understand that uh, we had some very uh, rather unfortunate happenings at uh, one of our SSPV parishes in the Cleveland area over the weekend. Could you fill us in on some of the details of what took place there? Well, we're talking about St. Teresa of the Child Jesus Church. And uh, yes, I got the call early Sunday morning that uh, some parishioners had arrived, some early birds arrived, were standing outside the, the main entryway of St. Teresa's and were uh, looking at some very obscene and... Uh, blasphemous graffiti that had been scrawled with permanent marker, as it turned out, uh, all over the, the facade of the church at that, at that place and uh, up and down the columns, uh, holding up the canopy there. Uh, and um, it uh, obviously was the work of, uh, well, to me, it was the work of one hand, I, uh, but obviously the person very disturbed. There were references to uh, BLM and uh, LGBTQ and uh, how, you know, the people who go to the church are hypocrites because we are against these things, they say. And, uh, and we hate, they say we hate. But, you know, if you saw the, uh, the writing, you'd say that obviously this is, the, this is the work of someone who actually does hate. You know, this is actually the product of this individual's hate. And he's just spewing the hatred and casting it, kind of projecting it on all of us. Uh, the sad part is, actually, uh, well, there are quite a number of sad parts here, <clears throat> seeing our Lord offended this way, because the hatred is actually directed against him. And I, th I think the people who arrived and saw this um, reacted the way I would hope they would. Um, I was concerned that people would arrive and see that, and they would react in anger. But most everybody I, I, I spoke to, or spoke to me about it, told me their immediate reaction was sadness. They were just so sad. They were sad on a number, for a number of reasons. In fact, um, after the Mass was over, and I had to be on my way to the next uh, chapel for Mass, I had to go to the airport to fly uh, to Our Lady of Peace, in Florida, I understand that uh, the parishioners uh, resumed their work of trying to scrub the permanent marker off the uh, the uh, columns, and it was paint. You know, it was it, it was very stubborn. It wasn't going to come off. We even I personally even tried uh, engine cleaning fluid and carburetor cleaning fluid, and um, while it uh, would get some of the black marking on the cloth, it didn't actually remove it from the, from the uh, surface of the wall or the column. So uh, it's obvious this is going to have to be sanded off and repainted probably. 
And uh, while they were doing that, while parishioners were doing that, uh, they actually in, uh, were praying the rosary. And they were praying the rosary not only in reparation to God for the blasphemies and, and uh, the obscenities, but they were actually praying for the person who did it. And I thought, well, that's exactly the reaction that we need. That's, that's the Catholic reaction, right? Would be our Lord's reaction, right? As he went to the cross, as he, his first word on the cross, the seven words, his first word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you obviously have the work of a very disturbed individual, uh, a mind created by the, the modern educational system, um, sad to say, and uh, uh, so unfortunately also perverted by modern society, what modern society treasures, which is so offensive to God, uh, what modern society exalts in defiance of God. So they were sincerely praying, and I remember the individual in Mass also since then. Um, it, um, it's not terribly surprising. St. Teresa's had escaped that largely over the years. Um, I mean, the cha- chapel was dedicated, uh, you know, 20, some, 25 years ago. More. But um, we've had things happen here at Immaculate Conception. We had a, uh, uh, you know, chicken parts wind up on our front porch and arranged peculiarly and found out that there was some witch in the area who was coming by and putting hexes on us and so on. Uh, they actually uh, found out who it was, really? a young, young gal, yeah, probably about 19, 20 years old, uh, kind of goth in her dress and obviously a very disturbed individual. Uh, and... Um, you know, we've had some other things happen here that were kind of violations of the sacredness of the place. I'm not about it. Um, but even Florida, where I was going after I left St. Teresa's, we've had some interesting experiences. We had um, a uh, early on when we were in Margate, Florida, um, we had graffiti, uh, you know, inked all over the front of the building, and some of the neighbors, some of our neighbors actually just showed up impromptu and painted right over it, cleaned it up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we weren't expecting that. We're grateful for that. But um, also, uh, in the previous location to the church, uh, we arrived one day to find the uh, doors and the uh, frame around the doors uh, completely covered with gang symbols. Um, so, I mean, nothing really overtly uh, blasphemous or obscene, but just gang symbols, which is really distressing. So <laughs> yes. that indicated we needed to find another venue for the Mass. So we, by the grace of God, we did. So as disturbing as it is I, <clears throat> to see this happen, I, I really am, number one, uh, surprised that it's not much worse, considering the tenor of the society in which we live, the brazenness of people now embracing Satan, uh, Satanism, and um, and uh, also uh, the brain, brazenness of those who represent the LGBTQ uh, assault on everything. You know, uh, the institution of uh, marriage, sacrament of matrimony, uh, everything we know as family. You know. Um, Everything we know is is just reality, frankly. I mean, just an, an absolute 
rejection of reality as God created it, and therefore rejection of God himself. I'm surprised that it's not much worse. But um, secondly, I'd say the reaction of the people is encouraging the, yeah. the Catholic people, yeah. realizing that there are lost souls out there who are desperately in need of help and need of prayers. If this individual had showed up uh, in our parking lot asking for help for whatever, there's no doubt in my mind that any of the people there would have hesitated to help them uh, in any way he or she could. Because we've done that done it before. We see how generous our people are when they see anyone really in genuine need. So, and even, even now, I think many of our people would uh, react the same way. If they saw somebody who was in genuine need, they would they'd definitely help them, and they'd sacrifice uh, of their own goods and time and energies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, seen it do them. I've seen them do it many times. Um, and this, you know, these are the people who are shouting um, either with their voices or with their pens, their marking pens. You know, these are the people who hate. But you remember the accusations that were raised against our Lord himself, right? He's possessed by a devil, right? (laughs) He's a Samaritan, right? And, uh, you know, I'm sure in accusing him, uh, his accusers were actually heaping upon him their own faults. They were just sort of, as they say, projecting these out of our Lord. And they were not obviously not true of him at all. But those who do hate have to ascribe hatred to those who oppose them in order to somehow justify their own, their own hatred. So uh, it's, it's awful. Is it going to worsen? It, it probably will, I would expect. So we have to be prepared for that. But... Um, you know, the police came. I did talk to a very fine police officer from Parma. Uh, I was very impressed with his professionalism, but also his uh, genuineness in addressing the problem. And um, he was certainly trying to help in any way he could. Give good advice, security cameras and uh, obstacles and things like that, the, the, the worldly means of uh, defending against this, mm-hmm. which are, are, are common sense that we should actually implement. We were talking about implementing it before, but just hadn't gotten to it. Right. Uh, we didn't see the urgency of it. <laughs> but now we realize that this is the right thing to do, to proceed to protect what we can, as we can. Uh, I see, Tom, uh, there's a third thing that I wanted to mention, too, and that is you know, not only the, the need of you know, the fact that this assault happened in the circumstances of the world today is not surprising, Secondly, that our people reacted the way they did, which is encouraging. But a third thing also, um, when things like this happen, the priest always wonders, okay, why, why is this happening? But not why in the sense of, um, you know, society is going bad and all this, but why in the sense that God is permitting this because there's some grace that must, has come from this. That God is allowing this cross to come for the sake of some grace he's going to give. And the priests are always ready, wondering, okay, where is this going to take us? Uh, So I think we found out um, 
there is a dear parishioner of ours down in Our Lady of Peace, where I wound up uh, that Sunday, and I actually stayed there uh, through Monday to see an elderly gentleman and have Mass for him and baptize a new, newborn baby down there. Uh, but as I was ready to leave Florida, heading for an airport, actually, um, in Fort Myers, uh, I got a text that the parishioner who's in the hospital was now in cardiac uh, uh, intensive care, isolation. And uh, I thought, I, I've got to go see him. Well, the problem was that I'd been trying to see him for some time, but the lockdown rules in the hospital are so draconian. <clears throat> we were just told by anyone we would talk to, charge nurses and so on, it is impossible. No one can come in. No one can come in and see any of these individuals who are uh, actually tested as positive for COVID-19. That's why he was in isolation. Mm -hmm. So um, every attempt that was made, uh, in person and on the phone, where whoever we talked to, it was the same message, absolutely not. And so um, I was very concerned about this uh, dear dear man. Um, I do ask prayers for him um, because he actually wanted me to come. I was trying to find a way to get in. Yeah. Uh, even joking about rappelling down the side of the building <laughs> to one of the windows, and then I found out there were no windows oh, available wow. uh, where this gentleman was. So, 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 so he told me anyway, yeah. <coughs> <coughs> because he was confined confined to bed. Mm -hmm. So, um, but so I made this, the trip across the state back to uh, our chapel there mm -hmm. on the east coast, and uh, we we're praying the rosary on the way and. Uh, um, when I got back again, by the time I got back that evening, which was yesterday evening, uh, we were still being kind of blocked, you know, but it's amazing. A couple of phone calls, uh, unblocked everything. Really? Mm -hmm. How yeah. so? Um, well, uh, first of all, one of the parishioners got in touch with a, um, uh, someone in charge of the pastoral ministry there who was, um, more uh, accepting. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody who understands that people need to... The technocrats and, and all the rest should not be the ones who run people's lives and deaths, right? So I actually talked to a human being who had human feelings and human wow. sentiments <laughs> and, you know, human concerns, mm -hmm. who understood human concerns. And... Um, but also, actually, a call to an attorney. Call to an attorney here in Cincinnati, just saying, uh, do we know anybody here locally who I could contact to um, just put a call in to let them know that we are very concerned from the moral point of view, but also from the legal point of view. And uh, it's amazing because within five minutes of that call, of my call, the attorney called a number... Uh, I won't identify where the hospital was, and t talk to someone at the hospital, and within five minutes, they're hanging up, that representative called me. Oh, really? Yeah. And the message was, well, um, when when can you come? Yeah. Just like that. Really? You, know, you want to come tomorrow? Do you want to come this evening? And uh, the point was, uh, she was kind of indicating that tomorrow may be best, and I said, well, you know, intensive... Uh, cardiac intensive care with the cardiac that's very, very, 
uh, volatile. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we trust in God, of course, to keep things going, but our God expects us to make the effort and do the prudent thing. At that point, I thought the prudent thing was that I just said I go immediately. Uh, so I did. And uh, it was as though the red carpet rolled out. I mean, everything just went like clockwork right on through. Uh, I wound up having to, uh, having to, um, you know, don an N95 mask and then another mask on the top and the face shield and the big hazmat suit mm-hmm. type of thing and, you know, like secured in the back. And, but no repelling? Uh, I didn't have to repel down the building, <laughs> no. And, uh, um, so, um, I'll never forget the, the look on the face of our dear gentleman <laughs> when I walked through the door in, in the, uh, isolation unit there. His eyes were as big as saucers, but he was elated. Yeah. He was really elated. That's great. And, That's great. uh, it meant, it meant so much to him. He, he was very clear, he was very definite about that, making it very clear to me it meant so much to him. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to convey to everyone he really appreciates the prayers everyone is offering for him. He's a very gentle, uh, genteel man. He's a, very, he's a true gentleman. And, uh, you know, it's terrible to see people locked away like that in isolation. And, um, so many people have died in those conditions, you know, because of the heartlessness of the system that mm-hmm. seizes them. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, I consider it not only immoral, but criminal. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Thank goodness, actually. I probably would make a very poor lawyer. Uh, not a judge. Nonetheless, I can't help but believe that there's some criminality involved in this because it involves rights that are protected here, guaranteed us, the, the United States Constitution. Right. And uh, so um, I expect that in the years ahead, uh, this is going to play out and uh, that there probably will be um, legal action about this. But I'm so grateful that our Lord and our Blessed Mother got me through the door there to see our dear soul. By the way, uh, the, same, the same weekend, the same attorney made a call that got Father Greenwald through the door of the nursing facility to anoint him in. But they, otherwise, they wouldn't have let him in. So I was told by a nurse, an RN, who was married to an attorney who's actually been involved in situations with the virus and the lockdowns and all the rest and questions in guarding, you know, legal actions with regard to schools and so on. Uh, She told me uh, that um, she, uh, I realize, you know, this is not the authority of a legal statement here, but that they apparently recognize they don't have a legal ground to stand on. And as soon as you bring the legal question up, whether what they're doing is legal, they immediately retract. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Immediately pull back. You can argue whether it's moral. You can argue whether it's antisocial. You can argue all kinds of things. But uh, but as soon as you question the legality of it and you're going to challenge it, I understand. From what she said, from what she's observed, you know, from the legal community that she's, uh, circle she travels in, that... Um, that they give way because they don't want to they don't want to take that on because they fear that they don't have the legal standing to defend what they're doing um if anybody falls ill now and and is thinking of 
you know, going to the hospital, going to the emergency room, whatever, I would say, unless they're in immediate danger, I think they should call the priest first, uh, as well as, you know, I mean, get some medical help by all means. But uh, once they go through those doors, if they test positive for COVID-19, or even if they don't, yeah. even if they don't, uh, the, a priest a priest getting to see them might depend on a priest rappelling down the side of the building, trying to get in, or finding some legal uh, legal help to get through the door to anoint them. So um, it's come to that in our United States of America. It's come to that. But there have been thousands of people who died. I, I was reading the story about a uh, a Catholic woman, an elderly Catholic woman, who died on a ventilator in a New York hospital, wanting a priest to come to her, and they wouldn't let the priest come. So the priest commissioned the Muslim, the female Muslim doctor, who then also was joined by the Jewish nurse, to give him last rites, to give, to give the woman last rites. It came to that, that they were the ones who actually administered, well, they said the prayers together. The female Muslim doctor, who meant well. I mean, she was motivated. She wrote the article about how moving it was for her to do this. And the Jewish nurse who was working there, she also was very moved by it. But they didn't see the issue here. And obviously the Novosor priests and just turning it over to them and say, well, well, will you read these prayers and will you do this for me? You know, And this is supposed to be the sacrifice to function? That's not the sacrifice to function, of course. But it tells you what the Novus Ordo thinks of this, yeah. what what they've replaced the sacrament of extra function with, this rite of anointing of the sick. It's not the same thing at all. That they would have a, Jew, a, a, you know, a Muslim female doctor administer this thing. So, uh, we, you know, you read these stories and your heart just goes out to these poor people who have been victimized like this. It's Catholic people. Mm -hmm. Victimized by the Novus Ordo, really. Do you expect to see more problems like this in the future? I do. Really? Yeah. And to be harder yeah. and harder to, to administer uh, this? I do, unless people start standing up and saying, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. <clears throat> as long as people just meekly uh, acquiesce, uh, they just encourage the abuse of power. Well, Father, why, why are people so willing to, to go along with all of these things? You know, with all the, the so many of the mask mandates and stay-at-home orders. People are afraid. But, but they said, you know, we're not going to enforce any, so many of these. We're not going to actually no, enforce but, these. No, but you see. People do it anyway. But see, but see Tom, here's the thing, okay. Um, even people who are not afraid of the virus, and there are many people who are scared to death of this virus. Yes. I mean, even the measures they took to keep me out of that hospital were supposedly for my own good, to protect me <clears throat> from being exposed to this, you know. And uh, it's kind of odd in a way because, I, I don't want to lose your first question here, but it's kind of odd. When I got to the hospital, they were asking me these serious questions if I had been exposed to the virus, if I had various symptoms. And I thought, well, that's kind of curious um, say, because I thought the idea was I'm going to go into the isolation unit. I'm going to be exposed to this by going. I thought that was your concern. And you're asking me if I was exposed to it. So I was there and you were trying to protect everybody from me. 
Uh, and maybe they were. I mean, they might have some rationale for that. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, um, so, um, but I, I, I thought, you know, it's hard to know exactly what's the, what the thinking is, you know. Um, is there it's not very well explained, even by those who you ask to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. They can't really necessarily explain clearly to you what, why they're doing this or what this is all about. Um, it's just what they're supposed to do. Yes. Um, so, anyway, I was grateful for them that they were doing it, you know, so I... For the sake of this individual, I, I certainly would have gone far beyond that, even repelling down the building with the, <laughs> <laughs> with the mask on. But, um, but in any case, um, there are those who are really terrified of the virus. Yeah. And a lot of those in the medical field who have seen people die of this virus are very frightened by it. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm talking about nurses and doctors, most nurses actually. This is taken very seriously because they realize that people are dying from this. Uh, I tend to think there are a lot, my personal thought is, from what I've seen and read and heard, is that there are many people dying of it because mm-hmm. they're not being treated uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I think, and many in the medical community would agree with that. Uh, certainly originally, that they, they say they didn't know what they were dealing with. And so they've had to refine their treatments. And the hydroxychloroquine is another subject we might want to talk about there. Um, but in any case, um, those who are not afraid of the virus that much realize it's just basically like a seasonal flu. Might be afraid of the government, you know, being uh, cited and fined or confined, uh, uh, quarantined, whatever. But those who are not really afraid of that I find that most of the rest of the people are afraid of social stigma. Really? Just showing up and being publicly confronted and attacked, ashamed, accused for not wearing a mask, for not distancing, whatever else. Because there are the, there's the, uh, nowadays they're calling them the, the Karens, they're, they're, but they're even beyond that. It's like the, the, the SS, the stormtroopers. Yeah. Who just insist on uh, on enforcing the rules? You know, I was concerned when the governor of this state said, "Well, you know, I, the churches. I wish they would close down, but I, I, I'm not going to close them down because I really can't close them down. But the the communities in which they are, you know, they have some influence. It sounded to me as though he was actually giving a a wink and a nod to." The neighborhoods where the churches were to shut those churches down yeah. forcibly. And I thought, this is really awful. This is really terrible what he's saying here. But this is what's happening with a lot of people out there. And it's not even necessarily they're afraid. It's just many of them, well, many of them are afraid <clears throat> of being confronted, being assaulted even. <clears throat> but others are just don't want to be bothered with it. And so they'll wear the mask, even though they think it's unhealthy for themselves and their children. Or they'll comply with things that they feel are uh, totally beyond the scope of government powers to mandate, uh, but they'll go along for the sake of uh, just avoiding trouble, you know. And uh, but this is the power, you know, the, the social pressure there, you know. 
there are very few, relatively few, who have the time, the resources, the, the, the stomach for standing up for something that they believe is the right thing and against what they believe is the wrong thing. Do you, do you think it's our duty to do that, though, Father? Because like you mentioned with, with the hospitals, you know, if, if you even mount any kind of challenge to them, they're, they're so yeah. willing to just kind of ready and, and step back. I think back. we have to be careful and choose our battles. That's a good question. <clears throat> I mean, there are people who are, are going to, you know, man the barricades over the masks, Masking, and there are people who are going to man the barricades over hydro hydroxychloroquine. There are people who are going to man the barricades um, over the hospital yeah. isolations and so on. And um, I know in my case, I mean, I have to draw the line when they're holding somebody captive in a hospital or a nursing facility, and that person wants the sacraments, um, and they're in danger, which is why they're there, which is why they're isolated then I just have to move everything I can out of the way. And, um, you know, I, I mean, just have to do whatever is necessary to, to get to them. Yeah. Um, um, now, others might say, well, okay, I see this is, this is the point where I have to draw the line because I believe this is a very serious um, a symbol, symbolism, you know. I mean, even, even Dr. Anthony Fauci, right, who at first, well, evidently he's been joined now by Dr. Atlas, who is, I think, a much more uh, medical and much less political figure, right? Uh, because I, I think Dr. Fauci, uh, Anthony Fauci, was just basically a political uh, person in there, and he politicized medicine, first telling us, don't need masks, don't wear masks, then we should wear masks, then we have to wear masks, then we have to wear goggles, right, and so on. And, and, uh, and so on. So, I mean, uh, back and forth constantly. Um, but anyway, um, now I understand that this Dr. Atlas is a much more medically sound individual who's not a politician and will not play politics, but he will talk medicine. Um, he will not invoke science as some mythical figure. Um, that everybody must adore, but you know he understands the limitations of science and uh, and real science, and will not bat batter our our country down, you know, in the name of some false science, uh, which is uh, often what scoundrels appeal to. You know, I mean, Mark, Karl Marx appealed to science to launch his scientific socialism. So, for all Marx knew about science, right? but in any case. Um, you know, people find Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, saying, well, finally, you know, masks uh, are a symbol. You know, by wearing a mask, you're actually sending a message, a symbol of, that you are social, socialized, that you're doing this, and, like oneness with the community and so on. And, and people would take that, and many people did, as saying, okay, you're talking like a communist now. You know, you got to wear the mask to show that you're like a member of the party. That you're going along with everything just because it's socially acceptable. Can't think for yourself. You have no individual life or rights of your own. You're a cog in the wheel of this machinery of society. You know, the fact that he would even say that tells you something about his thinking. It's not American. You know, uh, it's more uh, Soviet style thinking in my book, anyway. 
And there are people who actually understood it that way and realized, okay, if that's what this is all about, then some people said, this is where we have to take our stand now. If he's making that the symbol of submission to a communist takeover and the denial of our human rights as Americans, you know, that we can't go along with it. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, people have to decide where they have, they feel they have to draw the line. But it's important to pick the battles, though, because you don't want to find yourself fighting over, um, you know, drawing the line over something that is relatively trivial. You want to draw the line over what is really a matter of principle, and where where it's a very clear cut case, you know, that you have no choice but to take a stand. So uh, anyway, I'm just, as I say. Grateful looking back at this weekend. I, I had eight flights. I was going to take eight flights in four days, and, and that involved changing planes four times in Atlanta, um, which is known as airline purgatory, by the way. Um, so uh, staying over the extra day actually gave me a little bit of a... I spent the time on the road that day, uh, uh, you know, Alligator Alley, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, so you wouldn't consider it much of a break, but at least it, instead of four flights, eight flights in four days, it was eight flights in five days. <laughs> so to that extent, it was a bit of relief. But the main thing was that when these things began happening, this, this question about what happened to the church in, in, uh, Cleveland mm-hmm. was just one of the peculiar things that happened, uh, this past weekend. But, you know, as I say, the priests are used to seeing the hand of God in these things and, looking for what is going to come next and where God's hand is going to reveal itself. And I can't help but think that providence revealed itself in this. Uh, just getting through the, you know, swimming the moat. Uh, they lowered the drawbridge, uh, actually, so I didn't have to swim the moat. <laughs> uh, they raised the portcullis and I got into the castle. And uh, it was God's work, uh, thanks be to God. And he had some willing uh, assists here on earth uh, from some good people. And uh, it was much to the blessing of this gentleman. So let's, okay. I just pray that uh, he survives all of this and is able to rejoin us as, the, as we pray in the uh, prayers of extra function that God would raise him up and return him, restore him to his former duties in life. Yes. That's what I'm praying for. There you go. Well, Father, we, we did have an email that I wanted to get to. It kind of ties in with, with some of the things we've been talking about. But uh, this viewer wrote in and, and said, I was wondering your views concerning uh, General Franco of, Sp- of Spain. And uh, he says, from everything I can see, he was a defender of the church and a great leader for Spain. I thought it was a disgrace that the Marxist had his body exhumed and also the silence of Francis on this matter. Uh, But do you agree with me on this? He says, I know my views go against the mainstream narrative. Sometimes I think we need a Catholic leader like Franco in this country when I think of the mob rule of the Black Lives Matter slash Antifa. Uh, So what are your thoughts on this, Father? Franco was a true hero. Yeah. Which is why they hate him, which is why the revolutionaries hate him, which is why the Marxists hate him, the socialists, the communists. They all hate Franco. He was the youngest of the generals in Spain. But when he saw the politicians um, bowing before the socialization, uh, the Marxification of their country, right? when he saw the, the senior generals uh, going along with it, seemingly paralyzed right, uh, by what they saw, by the politics of it all, 
Franco was one who in faith stood up and said he, he could not, he could not witness the fall of his country to socialism, Marxism, communism. And, uh, obviously, um, his faith and his words of faith resonated throughout the souls of many good Catholics in Spain. And they fought what is known as the Spanish Civil War. It was the most brutal, cruel civil war. You read the atrocities that were committed by the, uh, by the uh, Republicans, so-called, right? Um, you read the atrocities committed by the pro-Marxists. It's incredible that we had, from America, the, the Lincoln Brigade, and Hemingway was involved in that, uh, of basically uh, adventurers who went over there to fight for socialism, fight for Marxism and communism taking over Spain. But uh, despite all human odds, as it were, um, Franco prevailed, and Spain did not fall to communism. Now we see it has fallen into socialism, uh, which is basically just, you know, a major step toward the communist tyranny. But uh, in any case, uh, the reason why they exhumed Franco was to um, make a statement. And the statement was a rejection of his Catholicism, his Catholic faith. It was a statement of his rejection of his faith in God and his love for God. Um, it was it was actually orchestrated by the socialists, right? Who, who considered him their, their arch enemy. And they're right, he was their arch enemy when he lived. Uh, the fact that Francis Bergoglio was silent about this, maybe even uh, nodding in approval, uh, maybe the clergy of uh, Spain was actually nodding in approval of this, indicates just how far left they've gone. But, um, you know, if you, if you read, uh, it is Arnold Lund, Arnold Lund's uh, uh, Spanish Civil War. You'll get a good idea what was actually what actually happened there, and what could happen here. What actually the the Marxists wanted to happen. What they're trying to make it happen here even now, in terms of civil war. Uh, it, it would be a real eye opener, eye opener for most people. Hmm. <clears throat> so no, this was to disgrace Franco. But you know what? <clears throat> He, uh, he's out of their power now. And, uh, I, uh, I don't think Franco was impressed. <laughs> I think he would take what the socialists have done. I think he would take that as a mark of honor. That they still to this day find his memory so abhorrent to them is a testimony to what he accomplished. And they, they, they still can't stand the idea that he would be honored in any way in their country. And, uh, the, that's a, really a, more a tribute to him than anything else, really, from our point of view. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not a tribute. It's a shame to the Catholics, the real Catholics, if they, hopefully there are some. And I'm excluding, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm excluding Francis, you know. Uh, I don't see I don't see any faith in him, any of the Catholic faith anyway. Uh, it's a shame to them that they did not stand up and uh, and prevent this 
public show of dishonor. But as I say, uh, Franco himself, I, I think the malice of the socialists and the leftists against Franco is a tribute to how effective he was in opposing them. And even his memory still has power to rally those who would oppose them. Wow. So, anyway. Okay. Uh, well, Father, there was a, another email. Perhaps we can end with this one, but uh, this is a rather rather nice uh, nice read, so I thought I, I would uh, just go through some of this. It's from a viewer who kind of gives a, a background about their, their journey. They were, they were born in, uh, in Catholic tradition before the changes of Vatican II, and um, I guess kind of uh, got, got caught up in some of the changes, but they say that... Um, they say that uh, we discovered a Latin mass available in their area. They tried attending uh, attending this. Um, he says uh, it turned out to be a, a Latin mass allowed in the Novus Ordo, and uh, seeing it gave me the impression I had finally found my home again after so many years. Mm -hmm. uh, but then he says, I came across what Catholics believe and began watching your videos. And I discovered that what I thought was home was only something that looked like home. Very familiar, but not entirely. He says, I, I watched your videos, and when the craziness of last spring began, we started watching Mass live streamed by WCB. This is home. He says, for me, it isn't only the Latin or the language, it's the liturgy. So he says, please let Father Jenkins know what an amazing resource his catechism series is. I had religion class during my years at, uh, at St. Charles, he says. Uh, but he says uh, that Father, no one, no one has ever presented catechism instruction like Father Jenkins. His explanations and connections are stunning. I've watched the entire series once, uh, but they plan to watch it again. So I says, thank you for, thank you for everything. May God bless you, your family, and everyone at WCB and Immaculate Conception Church. Well, that is very, very kind. <laughs> yes, definitely. But. Uh... Um, I, I, and I appreciate the kindness there, but I, I tend to think that St. Augustine and others like him did a much better job. Uh, I not only tend to think, I know they did. But uh, so, well, thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll just improve, you know, make, make, make it more and more available. In fact, you know, Tom, the uh, academy here, Immaculate Conception Academy, has some online classes coming uh, this September. Uh, introduction to Latin. Of course, this is actually designed for high school students and primarily uh, homeschool. High school students who need introduction to Latin, our own Latinist here, a man very enthusiastic about the Latin language and very capable teaching it, certainly, uh, will be conducting the course. He's also conducting a course online for English grammar, which should be very effective, and it will no doubt be very much needed for uh, high school high school uh, students. And people can actually go on the Immaculate Conception uh, Academy website, the ICA uh, Ohio mm -hmm. website, and enroll on these for these courses. And you don't have to be a high school student. You know, you might have precocious seventh, eighth graders, even fifth and sixth graders. Uh, you might have adults, actually, or college students, and college students, to my mind, should be young adults, who want to enroll in these courses, too. And uh, the academy is giving credit for taking these courses. Uh, they'll be bona fide courses in these subjects. I'm going to be uh, covering the fourth book 
of our Quest for Happiness series with our own students in the classroom, but also have a course online this year on the Our Quest for Happiness uh, volume uh, toward the eternal commencement. The uh, Our Quest for Happiness has four volumes covering the four years of high school, and each year I'm going to be covering a, a separate volume. This year it's the fourth volume. Um, so uh, I invite people who are listeners to what Catholics believe, and uh, whether they're high school students or not, and that w- whether they have high school students or homeschooling, schooling, or whether they're just uh, uh, interested in their own right, you know, and they're either the parents or the grandparents of the high school students who want to sign up for the courses, I, I invite them to do so. We also have a very competent gentleman who's ready to teach uh, philosophy of history and uh, also um, teach a log- logic course. This is a real you know, scholastic logic course, and the uh, gentleman has taught high school students and college students um, and uh, has a doctor- doctorate in Thomistic uh, philosophy, scholastic philosophy. Okay. So uh, we've got some very... Uh, uh, good offerings coming coming up this September, especially for those who want to do home study. And uh, I heartily recommend it. I heartily recommend it, uh, especially for our uh, high school students who need a course in religion. They might be enrolled in some other program, but that other program might not offer them an actual traditional Catholic course in their in their faith. This will be that. <clears throat> so I encourage them to uh, contact us through the uh, Immaculate Conception Academy, ICA Ohio website, and uh, at least get information. Sure, sure. Well, Father, I guess we can end with that, unless you had anything else you'd like to add. Uh, Tom, there, there were always other things to talk <laughs> about, but we'll have to save it for the next program. Sounds too. good. Cool. Uh, I'm also, uh, maybe I should mention this. You might see uh, some change in uh, our programs because we have a f- wonderful individual who has joined us, uh, the ICA, uh, the um, Order Catholics Believe program staff here, who's going to begin uh, introducing graphics and uh, um, pictures that illustrate the very material we're talking about. So it should make it more interesting and actually more informative. So we're looking forward to seeing his handiwork as well. So I just want to tell people not to be overly surprised if they see that. It is all by design. So please let us know what you think. Well, it would be very interesting to see a graphic of you repelling down the hospital wall, Father. I'm uh, that. Yes, that, I, I would find that particularly interesting. Uh, the audio might be more interesting than the video. Yeah. So. But uh, by the grace of God, that wasn't necessary, and, and not necessary yet. Okay. Uh, I guess I'd better practice. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm saying. Father, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, certainly. Thank you, Tom. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray in new penance. Thank you and God bless you.